0: Seriously, there's more of you here today than I thought there would be, so I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord this morning to worship Him. When I was in seminary, I had a friend who was a fellow youth pastor with me. He was a little bit younger than me. He was a young single man. He was a godly man, and he ended up marrying a very godly woman. And so he got married, and they had a little girl a six-month, precious little baby girl. And he and the little girl were traveling on I-80 in Wyoming. And they got hit by a semi and killed them both on impact. And it was a really hard thing to think about a traumatic situation when a young, godly youth pastor in his 20s and a six-month baby girl die in a car crash, leaving a widow behind to suffer that loss. Brings up all types of questions. It's confusing. It's perplexing. It's anguishing. You know, One of the most painful experiences to go through is the death of a child. I've told this many times before, but one of my best friends a few years ago I had to make the painful decision, he and his wife. Uh, their four-year-old boy contracted meningitis unexpectedly. They spent weeks at Children's Hospital in Denver. I went up there and, and ministered to them, and um, they had to make the hard decision to take their child off life support as a four-year-old little baby boy. It's a hard thing for parents to come to grips with those life-changing situations of death. And suffering and anguish. And we have to ask questions. Why does a young youth pastor and his six-month-old daughter die in a car crash? Why does a four-year-old boy have to be taken off life support? Why does a young pregnant woman get hit by a drunk driver and he lives, but she dies and the baby dies? Why do these things happen? Why does a tornado come through and decimate a town causing everybody to lose everything? Why does COVID seem to strike those that are over 70, but younger people don't seem to be affected by it? Why? Well, I wish I could stand here before you today and give you the answer to these questions as to why. And let me give you the answer. I don't know why. And you don't know why these things happen. But yet we're left with what the Bible says about death, about dying. And we come to a wonderful passage of Scripture today where Jesus shows up right in the middle of crisis, right in the middle of pain, right in the middle of death and painful loss. So last week we started chapter 7, a new episode in Jesus' ministry he's going to different villages in that area. Last week he healed the centurion's servant. This centurion was in anguish and Jesus showed up at just the right time from a distance, not even going into the man's house and healed the servant. And now Luke takes us to this little village called Nain and Jesus meets a widow who is in anguish and meets her at just the right time by raising her son from the dead. So let's read this wonderful account where Jesus raises a widow's son in Luke chapter 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. and She was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So here's the big idea. Here's the main point, the big thrust of this passage of Scripture. It's this. Jesus shows up in loving power in the midst of life's most heartbreaking moments. Jesus shows up at just the right time in loving power in the midst of life's most heartbreaking moments. So I want us to explore this passage this morning. I want us to look at three different angles, three different aspects, and then I want to bring in some application, bring in some response, bring in some implications of this passage of Scripture for us today. And So the first thing I want us to to notice from this passage of Scripture is this. We see, first of all, the traumatic reality of loss and death. The traumatic reality of loss and death. Now, what do we find out about this woman? We find out she's a widow, which means that she has already experienced loss. She has already buried the man that she loves. She's a widow. And now she has to go and bury her only son. So she is a woman that is all alone. She's lost everything. She's lost her husband. She's lost her only son. She is crushed. She's heartbroken. She is alone. And back in that time, during that that culture, they would hire professional mourners, professional criers to come along at these funeral possessions and, and weep and wail and cry. And so there's this big commotion of people wailing and weeping. And I'm sure that she is just at a loss because not only has she lost her husband, we don't know how many years before But now she loses her only son. Now, we can't get into the psychology of this woman and find out what was going on in her heart and mind. But all of us have experienced loss. I'm sure almost every one of us here has at least been to a funeral, has lost a loved one, knows what it's like to experience loss. We know what it is to experience the sting of death of somebody that we loved who has died. And why is there death? Why is there dying? Why is there pain in the world? Well, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, you know the story. God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate it. And what did God say? In the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. And so they did bring death into the world. Now, it wasn't immediate for Adam, physical death. It was a spiritual death, but eventually he died. And he brought death and dying and sin into the world. God basically pronounced a curse upon this whole situation in Genesis 3.19. He's talking to Adam. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, the ground you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam, you're going to die, and every single person that comes after you is going to die because you brought death into the world. Paul tells us in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that one man is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread, death spread. To all men, because all sin. You know, our men on Monday mornings, and by the way, men, if you didn't get my text, we're not meeting tomorrow morning because it's supposed to be negative 15, and I don't want to get up and scrape my car at 5 o'clock in the morning. But anyway, we're going through um, the book of Ecclesiastes, and there's some interesting things in Ecclesiastes about death that we've been looking at. Ecclesiastes 8, 6 through 8. There is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the Spirit or power over the day of death. No one has power over the day of your death. You're going to die someday. It's a reality. It's a traumatic reality. And then Ecclesiastes 9.3 is probably the most uh, discouraging, depressing passage in all the Bible. But I'm going to read it for you anyway. There's an evil, and he's talking about death here. There's an evil, death, and all this done under the sun. That the same event, death, happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Basically, Solomon's saying, we live in a painful, chaotic world of death, and it's traumatic, and there's loss, and there's pain. And so, this widow has experienced heartbreak and loss. And all of us experience this living in a fallen world. Yet we know that Jesus is a man on a mission. He doesn't just show up to places by accident. He's there by God's sovereign prerogative. And so Jesus knows what's going to happen when he goes to this village. He knows what this woman's going to experience. So Jesus just shows up at just the right time to meet this woman at her point in need. So the first thing we've seen is the traumatic reality of death and dying. Let's look at the second aspect of this passage of Scripture. Secondly, we see the tremendous depth of Christ's compassion the tremendous depth of Christ's compassion. Notice how Jesus is described here by Luke, how he kind of just has this laser-sharp focus on this woman. It's almost as if he, Jesus singles out this woman. Verse 12, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. and She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And verse 13, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Jesus had compassion. Very interesting word in the original language. It really means to have this deep gut level emotional response of affection and compassion for this woman. It's as if Jesus' heart just went out to this woman who's in pain. He's deeply moved. And notice that Luke uses the term Lord, verse 13, when the Lord saw her. He doesn't say when Jesus saw her, when the Lord saw her. Remember last week, that's what the centurion understood about Jesus, that he's Lord. When the Lord, the Lord of compassion, the Lord of love, when he saw her, he had compassion. Now at first glance, it may seem a little inconsiderate what Jesus says. Because Jesus says to her, don't weep. Well, that's kind of inconsiderate, Jesus. You're telling a widow who's just lost her son at a funeral not to cry. If you're a pastor and you're at a funeral and somebody's crying, the last thing you want to say to the family who's hurting is, stop crying, just just stop crying, Don't, don't cry. They'll look at you like, what are you talking about? This is a funeral, I've just lost somebody. Jesus says, don't cry. Now, he's not being inconsiderate. He's not being insensitive. He's about to show her who he truly is. He's coming to her in love saying, listen, stop crying, I'm going to tell you in just a minute why you need to stop crying, but don't, don't keep crying. He is this Lord of compassion. Psalm 68, verse 5 says this God is Father of the fatherless, and Protector of the widow is God in His holy habitation. In this moment, Jesus is fulfilling that role of Protector of the widow. Don't cry, widow. I'm about to do something to show my compassion for you. I've shown up at just the right time, and my compassion is going out to you. Fear not. Don't cry. So we see the traumatic reality of death and loss. The tremendous compassion of our Lord. But yet there's one more thing we see here. It's one thing for Jesus to say, don't cry. Stop crying. It'll be okay and another thing to actually do something about it. Jesus is going to do something about it, something pretty miraculous about it. Okay, So here's the third thing we see. Third, we see the triumphant display of Christ's power. The triumphant display of Christ's power. Notice what he does. He says, don't cry, don't weep. Verse 14, then he come up and touched the beer. Now, B-I-E-R, for those of you that don't have the ESV. It's not really a sealed coffin. It's more like a stretcher. And the young man is in um, funeral cloths bound on the stretcher, and they're taking him out to be buried. And so Jesus touches it, which would have shocked the people in the audience. Because according to Old Testament law, if you touched a dead body, you would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And Jesus stretches out his hand and says, whoop, stop. I'm going to touch the dead body. I'm not scared of death. I'm not scared of getting contaminated. As a matter of fact, I have power over death. It's as if Jesus is putting out his hand saying, Death, you can't go any further. That's as far as you can go. And the pallbearers are like, whoa, what's going on here? He's, he's stopping us dead in our tracks. He touched the body. Death, you can't come any further. Now, what does Jesus do? Not only does he touch the dead body, which is crazy, because why would somebody touch a dead body? It makes you ceremonially unclean. But then he starts to speak to the dead body. Jesus, are you crazy? He can't hear you. He's dead. Don't talk to him. What does Jesus say to the young man? Verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 14. He came and he touched the beer and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. I'm talking to you, young man. Get up. And everybody thought at this point thinks, Jesus, you're crazy. You're talking to a dead man who can't hear you you're telling him to get up. He's dead. He's, Jesus, I've got, got a secret for you. He's dead. We're at a funeral. We're taking him out to be buried. He's dead, Jesus. And Jesus says, rise. Get up. I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. Now, it's very interesting. In the original language, when Jesus says, I say to you, arise, In the original construction, if you look at the original language, it's, would you be raised? It's as if God is, he's saying, you need to be raised, as if God is raising him from the dead. Literally, would you be raised up? And so, he is raised to new life. Yes, this is a literal miracle. He wasn't just sleeping. He was literally dead. He was going to be buried. Jesus raised him to new life. And notice the compassion of Jesus here. I hope you catch it there. In verse 15, the dead man sat up, began to speak, and noticed Jesus' compassion. Jesus gave him to his mother. You picture it in your mind? Jesus gave the boy back to his mother. Here's your son. Here's your gift. Here's your only son. I'm giving him back to you. He's the giver of life. And in compassion, gives the only son back to the widow. So, you can just look at this passage at face value and say, Okay, we see three things. We see the traumatic reality of death and dying. The tremendous compassion of Jesus. And the triumphant power of Christ to raise him from the dead. But let's just think about some application and some implications and let's just think a little bit deeper about this passage of scripture and how it relates to us today because one of the things we need to understand is that Jesus was not obligated to bring the son back to life he was under no obligation to do it he did it simply because he loved the woman and he wanted to and he had the power to do that do you know that there were only two other occasions in Jesus' earthly ministry where he raised somebody from the dead. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, he was the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, his good friend, the brother of Mary and Martha, and then this widow's son. So there's only three recorded times, three episodes, three people, that Jesus rose from the dead in his ministry. So Jesus was very selective in how he performed this miracle. Now, he went around from village to village, and he would heal the sick. He would cast out demons. But only on three occasions did he actually choose to raise somebody from the dead. And so what's the point? The point is this. Jesus does not always heal or perform miracles or do things the way you would like them to work out. And so in times of anguish and in heartbreak and in loss, what do we automatically want? We want Jesus to automatically heal, automatically raise, automatically show his power. Jesus, you've got to do this. You're obligated to do this. Jesus, you do it now. Because after all, I deserve it, Jesus. Heal my sickness. Take away my cancer. Don't bring my dead child back to life, Jesus. And I'm not faulting anybody for thinking that because in the midst of trauma, in the midst of sorrow, you you are crushed. But here's what I've often found people think about when something traumatic happens to them and they think about their relationship with Christ. There's two things that people begin to question about Jesus when something bad happens to them. If something bad happens to you, there are two things you tend to question about Jesus. Here's the first thing that you tend to say. Jesus must not love me. This tragedy happened. If he loved me, he would not have allowed it to happen. He would have spared me from going through it. He could have stopped it. He didn't stop it. He made it happen to me. He allowed it to happen to me. It happened to me. Therefore, he must not love me. Because if he loved me, he would not have let this happen to me. If he really loved me. I must be on his bad list. May I remind you that Jesus does love you. And what does the Bible say about this? Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is abounding in steadfast love. 1 John 4, 7-10 Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever love, loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God but that He loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me just say something very loud and clear. If you ever begin to doubt God's love, look at the cross. That's where he proved his love for you. He didn't have to go there. He didn't have to die there. He loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. Why did Jesus do it? Because God is love, and God loves us, and God is for us. Romans 8, 31-32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So when traumatic things happen to us, we must never think that God somehow stopped loving us. Yes, in the midst of the struggle... Jesus loves you. But there's a second thing that we're tending to to, to faulty thinking that we tend to have. The first is, okay, if something bad happens to me, Jesus must not love me. Okay, the second thing we tend to think about is Jesus must not be powerful enough. Because if he was powerful enough, he would have stopped it from happening. If he was powerful enough, he could just make it not happen. He he could prevent it from happening to me. He's got the power to do that, and, and since he didn't Stop it, and and it happened to me. Jesus must not be powerful. So not only does Jesus not love me, he must not be powerful enough. And again, that's very faulty thinking. What does the Bible say about God's power? Job 42, 2. I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep. And when Jesus calmed the storm in Matthew 8, 27, the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and seas Obey him. The Bible teaches that Christ loves you, and the Bible teaches that Christ is powerful enough. But here's the problem. When we experience pain and loss... We don't see Christ's love or power in the midst of that. Do you know that Christ's love and Christ's power can show up in the midst of trauma? In the midst of pain and loss? Listen to Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. When? not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When, not if, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've said this many times, I'll say it again. God may not necessarily take you out of trouble, but he will always promise his presence right through the trouble. He never promises to take you out of it, but he'll be with you right there through it. He will not abandon you. He will be there because Jesus is compassionate and Jesus is powerful. His presence and his comfort show up at just the right time. This woman needed Jesus at just the right time. He showed up in power. He showed up in compassion. He showed up in comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now, look at verse 16. Let's get back to the text. How do they respond to the miracle? Fear sees them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Fear sees them all. They were amazed. It was wonderful. It was glorious. If you saw somebody raised from the dead, you'd be be amazed, And and they were glorifying God. They're experiencing the joy of the Lord. They're praising God. And so let's just ask a question. How do we respond when God does something miraculous, when God does something powerful, when God comes through in the clutch, when God blesses us? Woo, we're awesome. Or he's awesome. Not we're awesome. He's awesome. Yeah, we think we're awesome. He's awesome. We praise him. We glorify him. We stand in amazement of him when things go right. But let me ask you another question. What happens if things don't go the way you want them to go? What happens if there is a death? There is a loss. There is a sickness. There is a pain. There is a trauma. Do you still glorify God in that? Do you still praise Him in the midst of that? Do you still stand in amazement of Him in the midst of that? Ecclesiastes 7.14 In the day of prosperity, when things are going great, be joyful. It's easy to be joyful in the day of prosperity. In the day of adversity, in the day of adversity when things are going bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. It's fairly easy to praise God and be joyful when things go the way you want them. When he blesses, when he heals, when he shows up in power and he does things the way you want him to. Praise the Lord. But when things don't go the way you want them to go, in the day of adversity, in the day of affliction, in the day of anguish, God has ordained for you to go through that as well. Do you praise him? Do you stand in awe of him? Do you worship him? Think about Job. You know the story of Job. The Lord allowed Satan to pretty much take everything away from Job. And how does Job respond? In Job 1, 20 through 22, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Okay, that's weird. After everything was taken away from him, he falls on the ground and worships? And what does he say to God? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, in our passage before us, everything worked out wonderfully, didn't it? I mean, Jesus raised this widow's son and brought him back to life. It's a wonderful display of Christ's compassion, his power. It's a wonderful story, a wonderful account. Yet there's more to the story that's going on than Jesus merely raising a man back to life. There's always more going on to the story. The resurrection here of this man points us to what Jesus will do for us at the final resurrection. On that final day when Jesus comes back in power and glory, when we will be resurrected to new life, we'll receive our new bodies, we'll live forever with our glorified bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I want you to think about this. Have you ever thought about this before? Those three people that Jesus raised from the dead. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, Lazarus, and this man right here. They all came back to life from the dead. But they came back with the original body they had before they died. And they died again. You ever think about that? Oh man, I died once, I have to die again. (laughs) They died twice. With the same body. But for us who are believers in Jesus Christ, for those of us who have trusted Christ for salvation on that final day, we will receive a new body. We will be resurrected to new life. There's a glorious future resurrection. John 5, 28-29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment will come out of the tomb to a resurrection on that day. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised and perishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is Sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In a twinkling of the eye, we'll be changed. We'll be resurrected. We'll be brought to life. First Thessalonians 4, 13-17. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. As Christians, we grieve, but we do not grieve as others who have no hope. Why do we have a hope when we grieve? Listen to what Paul says. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The final trumpet, the resurrection, the changing, the twinkling of an eye. Revelation 21, 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The people here stood in awe of Jesus who had compassion and who had power because he raised somebody from the dead. We want to be like those people. We want to be like the people in verse 16 where we stand in amazement. We stand in awe. We glorify Jesus because he died, because he rose again, and because one day he's coming back to bring us to life at that final resurrection, to take us to the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more death or dying. How does verse 17 end? How does the the account end? This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. They went and told everybody. They left that place amazed and worshiping, and they, the report spread because people spread the message. They didn't keep it to themselves. They went out and said, let me tell you about a man that raised somebody to, to life. You're not going to believe this Jesus who has compassion, who has power, who showed up at just the right moment in this woman's life. Are we those who suffer well for the glory of Christ? Do we suffer well for the glory of Christ? Are we those who share the hope of Christ to the hopeless like they did in verse 17 when the report went out? Are we those that that share it everywhere so the report goes out? Would it be said of us as a people... That we, like in verse 16, fear sees them and they glorify God. Would the glory of God be the chief preoccupation of our hearts, of our lives? That we live to glorify God and we live to make Jesus known to everyone that they can have hope in Him because he has compassion, he has power, he rose from the dead, and one day all who believe in him will be raised to new life as well. Let's rest securely in the truth that Jesus shows up at just the right moment. Just the right moment in loving compassion in the midst of life's most painful, heartbroken, Circumstances. Never doubt. Hear me. Never doubt Jesus' love for you. And never doubt Jesus' power in you. Stand in awe like they did of this great Savior. And glorify God. Saying, God has visited his people today. God has visited his people today because Jesus has compassion. Jesus has power. And he's willing, ready, able, powerful enough to show that to you today to anybody that would come to him in repentance and faith and give their lives to Jesus. So let me ask you to bow your heads. And let's go before this Savior who is compassionate, who is powerful. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going through a tough time. Or maybe you've just recently dealt with a traumatic experience or maybe you've lost somebody. And you just need to hear the words today from Jesus that he has compassion upon you. He's powerful to get you through it. He loves you. He's powerful. He'll never let you go. Would you spend some time just praying to him, thanking him, asking him, seeking him, whatever you need to do with Jesus this morning, spend time with the Savior. Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we thank you for this account, this episode in your ministry where you had compassion upon this widow. You powerfully raised her son to life. Lord, help us to know that you have compassion on us. You love us just the way you love that widow. And you're powerful. And Lord, sometimes you don't always heal and you don't always do things the way that we would like them to be done. But let us never doubt your love. Let us never doubt your power. You've always promised to be with us right through the fire, through the storms, through the waters. When we pass through those, you're you're right there with us. You may not take us out of them, but they're, you're with us right through there, and, and you show up at just the right time, Lord. If there's anybody here today that's just struggling with heartbreak, they're struggling with things that are going on in their hearts that they they feel loss or pain. Would you just, Holy Spirit? Would you minister to them today in a way I can't? I can't do it, Holy Spirit. Only you can do it. Deep in their hearts, give them comfort. Let them know there's hope. Let us all leave this place knowing that Jesus loves us. Jesus is powerful. He's compassionate. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Let us leave this place with the joy of the Lord as our strength. And let's leave this place like the, the crowd did after they saw Jesus. You raise this young man from the dead. They Fear seized them, a good kind of fear. Oh, and they glorified you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your power.